Just, I mean, you're just who you are, what you're doing. Like, I mean, that's just a bio. I mean, that's not, they're not going to get up there and be like, tell us your bio and announce every aspect of, like, like, come on up, Pat. Let us know everything about your life right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to, um, when Pastor Jason will be there, he's going to be teaching and preaching. But the biggest thing is, thousand dollars worth of books but that um that wago software um it's a thousand dollar software and it's like you can literally go in and search any verse it'll give you every the translate everything in the world on there so that's the biggest aspect is like getting that but also they're gonna be doing teaching and preaching and then like um expository stuff so that's one big thing that i'm like i want to take some time to to learn to get connected to and um but it's free I'm like a free weekend. I was like, you can ride down with us. Like, Warren's going to come. KK's going to come. Um, we'll bring Naomi for the weekend. So it'll, uh, it'll definitely be something nice. But if you're watching on live, we're just taking a minute to get everybody a chance to get on. We're, we're fellowshipping here. What's that? Huh? Huh? Oh, the Bible verses? Oh, we're gonna, um, it'll be from, part from Acts 17, and then Luke 9, um, it'll be verses 10 through 22. I mean, when I get, yeah, I'll, I'll yell it out when I get there. But we're gonna start off in Luke chapter 17. Acts? I'm sorry, yeah, Acts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up like eight times today and be like, Luke, Acts 19, 72, and... So next week we may just do acapella hymns. Like, yeah. We may just run with that next week. I'm gonna talk to my dad. Mm -hmm. I already sent him a message this morning. Yeah. To get them, to, tell him to tap in, send him the link. Like tell him we like Mike or we like Matt, but <laughs> get connected with us. We are still a people. We're just we're just guiding them to where the Lord needs them to be. Where they can be used. That's right. Like, we're, I feel like we're missionary people anyway. We, we get people connected to where they're going on the next and stuff like that. They're here for a little while. We just, we just share, share the saints. Check, check, check. You got the microphone. We're good. We're good. Good morning, church. Everybody. I feel like there's a billion people here when I use the microphone just because it, it shouts out a whole lot louder and everything like that. But we appreciate everybody coming to in-person people, Facebook Live. It's always weird because I feel like I have to stop for a minute and I got to be like, let's let the live people get on. And I know they're just walking around the house with the kitchen, like holding it. Like Lauren's holding the baby somewhere, like walking around eating and everything. You know, it's like that, but we're thankful. I was listening to a podcast and was talking about how um, a friend of mine said to me how everything has shifted to like everything being online. And like a lot of people are doing their um, Sunday morning services as TED Talks. 
Like, you know, instead of having to be like, you get in and be like, we're going to preach. I'm like, I got three questions for you today. Like, you know, who is Jesus? What's he going to do? And where is the money? Like, you know, they're like, they'll do it like a TED talk and they sit down because everything is becoming podcasted. And everything is like, you're competing with so many people's time and um, just attention. I couldn't imagine if I was on Facebook Live and I had to live stream my service. And you accidentally flick up and you're like, you know, like you're going through your friends, like scroll and you see a baby photo and then you see a cat. And if you're like me, I like on TikTok, there's a cat that cooks food. I follow it. I'm really, it's a weird thing. I don't know. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine that. And I just pray that God gives people the ability to stay focused because I know I could not do it. Like I couldn't. I'd be just scrolling through and be like, Michael Jordan is the best. LeBron sucks. Like I couldn't do it. So God bless people who are out there watching on Facebook world right now. And I pray that he helps you all with your ADHD and your real attention because I'd, I'd be all over the place and distracted. But that being said, also, all the services were back on a regular basis to where they're recorded. Um, they're on YouTube and they are also on the podcast, which makes it a whole lot easier when I can go back and critique myself and be like, that was good. That was terrible. Gosh, what was I doing? Like Everyone has those moments in time. But um, we're continuing our model of discipleship um, sermon series as we're going and 10. Last week, we talked about how Jesus gave the model of discipleship and how he empowered the disciples to go out and he gave them the mission of healing and he gave them the mission of um, casting out demons and demonic spirits and stuff like that. He empowered them for the mission. He told them to get up off of their pew and to actually be active in their community. And just some and that pertains to what we're doing here in Charleston. We recognize that there's a lot of issues that have been going on. Um, the pervasive violence has just gotten out of hand. And I'm just a young person and I'm not a person to sit back and just say, well, I'm going to watch it. But we want to be active in what we are actually doing. And I said this last week and I was very convicted by the fact that when the shootings and stuff were going on and. KK was walking to the bus stop and um, I immediately run, I, I leave work and I go down there and I just said, I just want to be present because I feel as though if I'm just present in the moment, in the time, in a situation that I can do something about it. But then my immediate mindset then turned into criticism of what was going on in the area. And I'm like, there needs to be more police force. There needs to be a precinct here. There needs to be this. There needs to be that. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me in saying, why are you not taking the gospel to where the people have a need? There's tangible things that need to change in our city, and there's going to be tangible works that we can do. As I tell people, we've shifted everything from um, step by step to the, to the left-hand side of the sanctuary now. But we have to be able to focus on what we are doing spiritually to make sure that our city is where God wants it to be. So we, I thought and I prayed and I said, we're going to start this campaign. It's going to be very simple things. It's going to be applying basic biblical principles and what we've seen in the missionary aspects of what Paul did in the Bible to go and reach people and what the disciples did based off of the model of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be called the prayer and presence campaign. And what we are going to do is that we as a church and what we're going to do is challenge our churches to continue on mission in our community and actively pursuing the well-being of the city's most at-risk residents. That means those right now who are facing the violence, the shooting, the poverty, someone, um, a car in someone's house. I was deeply encouraged as while we pronounced this last week. I'm just going to brag real quick. Um, I get a message from Kelly talking about how she was like, hey, I was walking the block and my, my neighbor's house got hit by a car and she went down and was physically present in the middle of it all. She got to pray for the. I'm in the house like jumping around. Naomi's looking at me like, what is going on with you? You're crazy looking. But that's what it looks like to be a disciple. That's what it looks like to be the church. 
You see the issues, you see the problems, you see the situations. You don't just say, man, that's crazy that that person hit that person's house. You go and you be present in the situation, in the moment, and you offer what you were able to give in that time. And I was deeply encouraged about the prayer aspect. I was, just, I was shouting, Lauren's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, let me just tell you about this now. But that's what it looks like. So what we're going to do with the Prayer in the Presence campaign is that we're going to work to blanket Charleston's neighborhoods with disciples of Christ. And on a weekly basis, the goal is that eventually every single area within the city of Charleston is blanketed with prayer. A person of the kingdom of God who is willing to go out and spend a little bit of time during the week and walk over every single area and step that has a street and where people are living in residences so that they have somebody who is able to talk to them about the kingdom of God. And to help with their needs. So what we're going to do is that we're going to meet those who live in our neighborhood. We're going to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's our main goal is to proclaim that God's kingdom is here. And that you can be a participant if you receive salvation. We're going to pray for our neighborhoods. And when possible, we're going to pray directly with our neighbors. And this is a big part that I want us to do is that we're going to survey the needs of the designated areas. Is there hunger in your community? Are there persons who are in need of shelter in your community? Is there food insecurities in your community? Are there abandoned houses? Are there kids who need recreational help? And we're going to report these back to the CJC, the Christian Justice Coalition that we've made in Risen City. And we're going to be an active force to help and to be present with fixing these issues. A gospel that only takes care of the spiritual isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, as we saw last week, he sent them out, as we see today, to um, take care of the spiritual needs that they had, but also to take care of the physical needs in their community and people and places around them. I've said this before. I can't preach the gospel and ask kids to come into my facility when they are starving and literally hungry every single day. I have kids who come to my front porch. They're waiting there because the whole school and stuff. And they're just like, I'm hungry. I haven't ate all day long. And we keep these snack packs downstairs. And KK will go out there and just be like, I got popcorn. I got snacks. I got everything. But we're going to take care of the physical needs also as we're able to. Fourth, we're going to be committed to building strong relationships with those in our neighborhoods. Those who may not agree with the gospel and those who do agree with the gospel. Because I believe that through them seeing our lives lived out as a Christian and a Christ-like relationship with God, it can bring people about to seeing how our lives are living in right communicable relationship. And they see that our identity with Jesus Christ is something that's going to quicken their spirit back to their identity with Jesus Christ. It means being consistent for the long term. And then lastly, it's being present at community and social events and activities to promote the well-being of our residents, of our communities. If the church of the world doesn't see the church being actively involved in these situations, where is our power? I tell people this all the time. I do a lot of stuff. I'm on a lot of boards, a lot of situations. I tell people, I say, when you invite me to this situation, you're now inviting Jesus Christ and Christ-centered ideas to how to fix these situations. You may just think you're getting Michael Farmer who works for the, uh, the nonprofit, but I'm like, everything I do with my nonprofit is based off of Christ-centered ideas on how we can help and how we can bring people about to a better well-being. So that means there's things that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. There's a Tuesday and there's a Thursday community meeting that's going to happen. Tuesday's going to happen at the Black Diamond Girl Scouts parking lot on the west side over here. Um, I, I put it in our weekly emailer. But I really encourage everyone to come to that meeting. Um, that's our neighborhood around with two different wards that we really represent. It's that neighborhood in the sixth ward. And then seventh ward is going to be here. And it's going to be over, over there somewhere. I'll get you an address. <laughs> 
I don't know the exact address. It's a, it's a little shop and go kind of place near um, Little Page and Orchard Manor. And that's actually the, uh, the place where our ward is. We're in that ward here for the church. But it's also a place where our step-by-step after-school programs, we are heavily involved in providing after-school programming and um, things for those kids. So we really want to be connected. But I want us to remember that our goal is to proclaim the kingdom of God is near to all. And unity within the church and our kingdom. And we're going to provide tangible things as we are able to do so. We're going to touch on what that looks like to provide the tangible things here um, over the next of the sermon series here. But what we're going to do is um, in the email, you'll see that it has like what the neighborhood walks will look like, what it's going to actually be like. Um, we're going to do one four o'clock on Sundays. I may move that up a little bit earlier. These times may change. But four o'clock on Sundays, I'm going to meet here. And anybody who wants to walk with me, we're going to do a walk behind our church and around and um, around to about Second Avenue and about back this way. So anybody who wants to join, it's just going to be we're going to pray. We'll talk to anybody who's in the neighborhood and we'll go from there. Then Josh and Kelly, they have got a place on the, um, on the west side. I'm not going to give you all that. I was about to say, like, they live on so-and-so street, and people are going to be showing up to your house. Like, is this what we do on prayer and presence, y'all? They told me y'all had snacks. Like, <laughs> they, may pull, they may pull up at their house, but they're going to be a hub on the west side also to say this specific designated area is where we will be to pray and to meet our neighbors and such. And then we're going to meet with, we're going to get connected with Mason and Holly. They don't know it yet, but they're going to be a part of the prayer and the presence <laughs> for their little section on the west side of Charleston. And the goal is, is that we just find people who affirm Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, who are willing to go out and to meet those who are in need. We make the joke all the time about the other religious groups that go door to door, who actually will take the time. But then we make those jokes about them, but we're not willing to actually go out and follow the model of discipleship in which Jesus Christ gave us to go out and to do the same thing in our communities. So over this last week or two, I've had a lot of different conversations about the shootings with residents and people in the city and the conditions in which our city is in. And one thing that I've realized is that the stakes are high for Charleston. When we look at our Charleston community, we realize that there's many, many issues, there's pervasive issues that we must address head on. And I want to reference real quick to you guys as we start to transition into the sermon. It's a really good book by Doug Logan. I think for Christmas I got everybody a copy. It's probably one of those things you're like, oh, yeah, I got it. You got to like pull it outside of like somewhere. And um, I, I leaned on it heavily when we were in the, in the beginning of what we were doing of the, of the year. Then COVID hit and we kind of fall back. So in the midst of all this, I had to get back to this. And um, I'm thankful that uh, I, I tagged him in a post one time and he just said, Pastor, whatever you need, you're able to contact me with. So I'm really excited about those kind of connections. But in the beginning of one of the chapters on, on the on the block book, he says um, and this chapter is called the beginning on the block. He states and he starts to talk about the condition of his city and the place where he was living. And it reminded me a lot of what Charleston was. He starts off and he says, when I'm on the block in Camden, we can even just swap this out for Charleston. When I'm on the block in Charleston, I see that the stakes are high for the church regarding people who are separated from Christ. Because when we look at the issues within our city, the heart of it is, is that there are many people who are separated in Christ and they are in a depth of depravity and a sinful nature. Now, when we talk about a sinful nature, it makes it sound like we're condemning people who are living in these situations, these moments and times. But I want to make the case that we're not condemning, but we're just stating the condition of our city and where the people are right now. And he continues on. He says that the stakes are high when I view the pain of many single parent homes 
in which the children, they long for a mother and father, but they've been replaced by grandparents who act as single parents to these kids in our communities. Many who are locked up in prison, many who are suffering from drug abuse, many who have lost custody. This is the situation of our city. The stakes are high. As I see many young people who are caught up in gang violence, craving a role model, a father figure, and giving it to gang members who were happy to apply to them with corrupt living in the name of family and keeping it 100 and keeping it real. The many people out here who are shooting up the blocks are just looking for someone to mentor them and to give them the right kind of guidance in life. And they won't find it in the church. If they can't find it in the church, they'll find it from somewhere else who will affirm who they are, and then they'll speak an identity into who these young people are. There are more people out there who are willing to be mentored than there are people who are willing to be a mentor and to, to disciple. We see this every single day, and I've noticed this more and more as I've just been walking the blocks in our community every single day. The stakes are high for the young lady who was planning on just selling her body just a few times to get back on her feet, to provide for the children. But sadly, she gets caught up in years of prostitution. The stakes are high when I see a myriad of children struggling with hunger and homelessness in our cities every single day. As we walk and we drive down Washington Street, we see these things and we condemn them for the actions that they're taking. And I had to stop and I had to sit back as Doug Logan says at the end of this statement, he says that I too have been guilty of not being able to reach the block and to seeing the comprehensive transformation of people in my city through the gospel. We are walking and living this life out. But then he reminds us that in, in, in Acts 17, as, as Paul is on his missionary journey, as they're moving along with, with, with Timothy and Silas, as they're going from city to city, as they're walking out this dangerous missionary journey, as Paul is literally getting death threats every single day, as he goes into cities and he's proclaiming the gospel, he goes into Athens. And in Acts 17, if you want to turn there, in Acts 17, verses 16 through 19, as he's waiting right now, for Silas and, and Timothy, who were in another place doing a missionary work, Paul is awaiting for them right now in Athens. And this is what he says. He says, now, in verse 16, he says, now while Paul was waiting in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and devout persons in the city and the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with the people within the city who happened to be there. And many of these people, you know what they did? Their response was, as it was in 18, they said, what is this crazy person blabbering about? What is he talking about? He seems like he's off the rocker a little bit. But others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. As he goes out into the cities, he knows the stakes are high for those who are worshiping idols, those who are pulled away from God, those who are living a life that is going to lead them to destruction. The stakes were high for the people who were living there, but it did not pull him away from knowing that he had to go out and be present in the midst of the situations because he valued those who were within the city. Even though he was there momentarily, he was there temporarily waiting for Paul, for Timothy and Silas, he says that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city full of idols. His spirit, it was not the Holy Spirit, but his spirit inside of him as he saw the depravity of the city that was around him. He went out 
and he spoke to those who were willing and able to listen. Like Paul, we must not be mesmerized by the mess, but motivated by the Messiah and Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that because I messed it up. (laughs) It says, like Paul, we must not be mesmerized by the mess, but motivated by the Messiah. It says that his spirit inside of him provoked him to go. His human spirit was deeply troubled by what he was seeing inside of the city. He, he was seeing that they were devoted to false gods, to false prophets, and that they were represented by idols in these moments and times. And what are the idols that are leading our people away and astray in the city of Charleston right now? As I mentioned earlier, our city has pervasive violence. It has sin that is overwhelming the hearts of people. But in the midst of all these situations and things that are going on, there are real needs that are happening spiritually and tangibly in the lives of people within our city. And can we sit back and not be provoked by what's going on? When you see the kids on my front porch and I wake up and I go there and I'm like, what are you doing out here? They're literally laying on my porch and they're just like, I'm just hanging out. You know why they're hanging out there? Because they know it's a place where I will be present and they know it's a place of safety and they know this where they can get their tangible needs and they know that they can get a spiritual answer to what is going on. But it takes us being present in the midst of the situations that are going on in our lives. It was the provocation that Paul experienced through the Christlessness in Athens that sparked him to go beyond just the wishful thinking and the passive disparity of the city and seeing what was going on for him to be present in the situation. As I was reading through that, it just just popped out to me. You cannot experience what's going on unless you're present in the situation. I see stuff on Facebook and then I hear what people are talking about and I say, oh, that's bad. But it's only when you're truly present in the midst of a situation, do you really truly comprehend what is going on? Paul is in the midst of Athens where people are worshiping God. There were literal feet that were made in the city that were, were, were of gods that people were worshiping. And he was just, just taken aback by what was going on. And I think that the church doesn't see the, the moment in time where we have to be connected because we see it on Facebook. We see it on a news post. We see what people are saying about it. But we are never actively able getting out of our seats and our pews to be present in the moment in time so we can actually make a change. Our hearts are not provoked because we aren't in the midst of what's going on in the situations in life. You know, I, I'm a basketball player and I get excited when I watch the games and stuff like that. Um, I've been to a couple of NBA games. Um, I've been blessed enough that we take our kids on trips and stuff like that. And um, I remember, you know, we've taken them and I've been in the stadium during the playoff game, the Cleveland Cavs, the year that they won the championship game. And I mean, I, w- I really would love to go back to like when the Bulls era, like you hear that at the Bulls, like you're now coming in, Michael Jordan. The atmosphere is ridiculous when you're in there. And we, we actually had a chance that when they, they won the championship game, um, we got to go on the floor with the kids. We were doing a high five tunnel and stuff like that. And the kids were losing their ever-loving mind. I'm talking like I had to like grab kids. Security was going on. One of the, like, the girls, they saw Kim Kardashian, one of the Kardashians. I don't know which one it is. And they lost their ever-loving mind. They were like, Khloe Kardashian. And I turned my head and I thought like, they were tall. They're like five foot five, like five foot two. So like I turned my head and they were like, there she is. I'm like, oh, it's right there. And, but the, in the moment in time, it's different than saying I'm, I'm watching them on TV. I'm watching this game on TV. When you're in there, you experience what it really feels like. 
the atmosphere of what's going on, the hype and stuff like that. You see LeBron James go and he shoots that shot and he makes it and the whole stadium goes crazy and goes wild. They're like, yeah. It's a little bit different now when I watch the NBA games on the TV when it's nobody there. I'm just watching it. I'm at my house. I'm like, ooh, that's a good play. Ooh, that's, that's cool. You know why? Because when you're present, you can experience it fully. When you're present in the moment in time, you're experiencing it for what it really is. And in these moments in our neighborhoods, are we present in the midst of the situations that our kids and our families go through? You're provoked in that moment in time at the basketball game to yell, to scream, to get hype and stuff like that because you're in the midst of what's going on. And no different than with us, I believe wholeheartedly that when we start to go out and we're in the presence of our people, when we start to feel their pain, when we start to see the iniquities, when we start to see the situations that our, our kids and our families are living in, I believe wholeheartedly it's going to provoke us to go beyond just posting on Facebook about the bad situation or saying that's a bad situation or criticizing what's going on is going to be no I want to go and to be present in the moment because I believe that I am a carrier of God's spirit and I can make a change to the situations that are going on in my community we don't experience it because we're not present we don't know what's going on because we're not there in the moment in time Paul, in that moment, he didn't stop and, and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call up all my pastor friends and, and we're going to get a committee meeting together and we're going to meet and talk about this and we're going to make a 10-point plan and we're going to take a special offering so we, can, so we can have some money to get this thing going. No, he stopped and he realized, he said, what can I immediately do right now and jump into action and, and to be able to be present and to reach people of Jesus Christ? He didn't immediately jump up and start strategizing. So much as he did, as he knew what he needed to do as he went out and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It said there in verse 18, it said that he was preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. I think sometimes we get caught up in too much of what is the bigger aspect of what we can do. But let's bring it back and scale it down to say as Christians and believers, can we talk to our neighbors about Jesus Christ and the resurrection? Because it's only going to be Jesus Christ and the resurrection is only the way that we can see our city redeemed and pulled back up and risen from the mess and the chaos of where we are right now. I need a little man to clap for me every day. I need him to come. I, amen. Go ahead, brother. You piping me up right now. We need that to see our situations and our neighborhoods change. It's only through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we'll see those people who are on the block giving their bodies up come to a revelation of what their true identity is and that they are wonderful and fearfully made in God's image so that nobody can abuse them for who they are. It's only through the understanding that we are present in the moment and times when these young men are out here seeking identity because they don't have any fathers or anybody to speak an affirmation to who they are. Us being present in that moment and time and experiencing their pain and anguish that we see what they're doing that we can preach Jesus Christ resurrected and crucified for their sins to bring them back into an identic identity to who they are in the eyes of Jesus Christ. It's only when you experience someone's hunger, when you truly see what it looks like for them to have the pain of, of anguish, of actually physically being hungry and not having food, that you are provoked in your spirit to go and to do and to help. 
I felt very convicted the last night. Me and Lauren went out for our anniversary dinner. And we abandoned the kids. I was just like, bye, take them, go. I'll see y'all in two weeks. Like, you know, I, I wasn't really like that. Y'all gonna be like, man, that's a bad father. I'm playing. But you listen, if you, some of y'all are parents, you know, you just need like a night out, two hours. And then an hour in, I'm over here trying to get on the cameras to see what Naomi and Kanai are doing. I'm like, miss them and stuff. But I was so convicted. We went out to a decent restaurant and we kind of got dressed up and stuff like that. I put on a suit jacket and I got there and I realized I didn't need to dress up. And I was just like, well, I'm still going to enjoy this pasta. But we get there and as we're there, I'm walking, we're, we're eating and we drive back home and I'm just driving through the city and I see someone who is homeless. And I see that, you know, the situation, I'm sitting here in the car, we have a decent car and I just ate this nice meal and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my spirit just, just in that moment of being like, I just came from here and I'm seeing this and my heart and my spirit just got gripped by the situation of what's going on in the city. And I think sometimes we don't experience, like I said, because we're not there. We get caught up in the comfort of what we have and the blessings that we have, but we don't realize that there are people who are dealing with the real situations. Hunger is a real situation. Homelessness is a real situation. Not having a place to stay is a real situation. And the church, we can be present in that moment in time. But it means as we go out, we have to make sure that in the same way as Paul went out, when we go out, we must have Jesus Christ's character. We must work within his power. We must work within his humility, his boldness, and all that he has done to redeem a fallen man. It has to be at the centerpiece of our evangelism. When we go out and evangelize, it can't just be about taking care of the tangible and the physical needs. At the heart of it, we have to bring man back to the redemption that they are fallen, that they are far away from God, and that Jesus Christ can redeem them. When we do this, we are bringing them back to the moment in time of really realizing who they are in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And as we're doing this, there's a couple of points I want to give to you that we see here with Paul as he was out ministering. The first point of this is that the gospel is going to help us and prevent us be, by, be, I'm sorry, the gospel is going to help us and prevent us from just being angry and aroused by the situations. The gospel motivates us by God's Holy Spirit to be engaged on the block. It's not just being angry about the situation, but it's being engaged on the block and the things that are going on in life. Secondly, therefore, the proper response to the gospel would be a motivation to see God's name made famous to all of our cities and all of our states and all of our areas. That when we come in on a Sunday, when we go through our Bible studies, the proclamation of the gospel that we receive, our response would be that I want to take it out to everybody else out there in the world around me. There's got to be a motivation. There's got to be a quickening in our spirit. And I believe that it'll, it'll be um, more so stronger as we build and we develop our interpersonal relationships in our lives. That's why it's very important for all of our members to get connected to one of these D groups. Get connected to one of these discipleship groups because the things that you carry on a week-to-week -week basis is a lot. But we need to be able to confess to our sins and talk to our friends and our neighbors and be able to say, the kids are just driving me crazy right now. I need prayer. I need to talk. I need to go to the Park Place Cinema and rent out the place and play Super Smash Brothers so Adam Harper can lose because he's talking about killing us in Super Smash. Uh, we need these moments and times and fellowship with each other. So then we can be motivated by our brothers and sisters to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third one is, is that we've got to do more than identify the pervasive idols in our city. We must be intentional about our plans for implementation 
of missionary engagement in the urban, in the urban communities. Repeat that again because that's good. We've got to be more, we've got to do more than identify the pervasive idols in our communities, but we must be intentional about the plans for the implementation of missionary engagement in our urban communities. That's why we're doing the prayer and the presence campaign. I believe it gives us a broad enough and also a small enough opportunity for us to be missionally engaged within our community and the people who are around. Lastly, he gives an this, tying this back into what Paul was doing and shows what we can do in our, in our block, it says that we must view missions along the great redemption, re, the great redemptive trajectory that was set forth from the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden when Jesus Christ initially is mentioned as crushing the head of the serpent. We must view missions along the great redemptive trajectory that was set forth from the beginning. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on as, we, as we're now going to transition over into the book of Luke. 11, I'm very sorry, Luke 9, verses 11 through 22. And I'm not going to go verse by verse, but I'm going to break down this kind of story because I want to make sure we have time-wise on here. But it starts off with the story of Jesus and the disciples as he's feeding the 5,000. And we know the story that Jesus feeds the 5,000. The disciples have just come back from their missionary journey. They're all hyped and they're excited. They're like, Jesus, we don't heal people. Disciples is out here. Demons fled from my name. They're really excited. They're hyped. And what happens when you go on these missionary journeys is that you're going to engage with people. You're going to, to talk with people. You're going to have an opportunity to, to bring them to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And what's going to happen is hopefully that followers then come back and they join our church and they're connected to what we are doing. And in this moment, we see that Jesus Christ ultimately is giving and indicating an indication of the proper response to the disciples and to the church to take care of those that they minister to after the proclamation of the kingdom of God. I'm going to repeat that because that's important because sometimes we miss that marker is that we have a responsibility as the church and as disciples to take care of those who we minister to after the proclamation of the kingdom of God. We are to continue to seek the well-being of those that we minister to. It's not just, I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. You came to the altar for this one moment in time. Here's your certificate that you came to Jesus Christ. Let's baptize you. And then we never have a real long-term engagement. That's where the church falters and fails because we don't make disciples. You, you are equated to the, like I said this last week, is like you, you have that church experience at the summer camp and you're like, oh, Jesus, I feel you, Abba, Father, fill me with your spirit. And then we never follow up with those kids or those people. And we wonder why they become jaded by the church, because they can get better relationships from people in the world who are more consistent to keep up with them than the church does. And that's why we see the pervasive violence within our cities by young people who would rather be a part of a gang or be a part of another entity or a family because we as the church aren't showing what it means to be a family long-term. We need to be connected and consistent. So Jesus is here and the disciples in verse 10, it says on their return, the apostles told them everything that they had done and he took them and he withdrew apart from the, with them. And the crowds, they learned about it and they followed him and he welcomed them. Jesus welcomed the crowds. He welcomed the people like any good church person would do. Oh, you want to come to my church? Yeah, come on in, y'all. Oh, make sure y'all know where the tithing uh, envelopes is on um, this money. But y'all, we got to keep the lights on. That's how most pastors be like, you know, let me know. You can easy tie that bad boy. Text the tie. I see that all the time. And they're talking about you're in the church. You're hearing. You're receiving the teaching. 
about the kingdom of God. And Jesus did the same thing as the disciples did. Modeling is saying what the disciples did is what I've sent them out to do. And I'm going to continue to do so. Cure diseases and cast out the demons. And in verse 12, it says, and now the day began to wear down. And the 12 came and said to them, send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and to get provisions. For we are in a desolate place right now. But he said to them, Jesus, he looked at me, said, you give them something to eat. Kind of like the disciples, like he's like, well, you want me to do what now? And I could, their, their response back is on here is that they said, we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go to buy food and other, buy food for all these people. And he said to them there was 5,000 men, which means that there was around probably double that amount with the women and the children and such like that. So I could imagine, could you imagine just walking up nowadays, you know, we'd be like, ah, can we call Papa? No, we ain't going to call Papa John's. Go give him the good pizza. Go, go to Little Caesars. Go to Little Caesars. Get the five for five. Get the five for five. If I buy 52 five for fives, can I get a discount off of one five for five? Like, I can imagine that's what happens at the church sometimes. You're like, let's feed all these people. Or they go to the Wendy's and they say, can I get 10,000 four for fours real quick? What do y'all want y'all for? You know, I've never, I didn't realize how bad it was. I realized why people don't take their kids to, to drive-thrus to get food until COVID. And I realized how terrible it is when you have kids and like, what do you want? Um, you know what McDonald's has and what Wendy's has. You're going to get a fry. You're going to get this Happy Meal. You're going to get the apples and that's all you're going to get. But I don't want, that's what you're getting because I can't go through 72 kids' orders right now. I, I, I see why parents would just be like, you're going to get what you get. I used that with KK the other day. I was like, I don't have time for this right now. You can get the Happy Meal, whatever comes in the Happy Meal. But I'm a grown person. I know you are. But you eat this Happy Meal and be happy. Okay? KK eats like a grown man. I love her. But because you imagine 5,000 people. And the disciples' first thought is, is that in the midst of all this, hey, hey, we've done a good job, y'all. They, they came to church. They got saved. Send them on home now. Send them out. They, they can fend for themselves out there. They, they were in a desolate place. They, they weren't anywhere around anything that had amenities. They said, we got to get them out of here so they can find a real place to go. And this was a real life situation that they were addressing. I don't think they were wrong in saying, we've got to get them home before it gets dark. Because after darkness, there could be bad things that happen to these people. But Jesus Christ is saying, hey, listen, on mission, I'm going to provide to you what you need if you're willing just to be obedient. It started off with the disciples first off in being obedient and to going out in the neighborhoods and the communities where the stakes were high, where the risks were going to be high, where they could be prosecuted and persecuted for what they were believing. And they did it, though. They were obedient in that moment in time to go out in the midst of their own fears, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be rejected by people face to face, to be to be rejected by what even the Romans may have done to them. And, you know, the Jews didn't like him either. But they went out and they were obedient in that moment in time, in that situation. And God blessed them by them taking that little bit of faith to go out, to be able to go out and to heal and disciple the people. And when they came back again, they had little, they didn't trust in God with faith. But when we bring our little bit to God, when we are on mission, God will provide for us to multiply and he will give us the means to do so. When we look through this here, I love that it's the fact that Jesus Christ took the bread, he took the loaves, he broke it. And he blessed it and he gave the model to them and saying that he then had the disciples to serve the people. 
to, 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 to give it out to the people. Sometimes, you know, what the church is real good about doing is that we receive, we take what our small thing is, we receive the blessing of God. You know what we do? We sit here and we say, oh, look what I gave to you. Look what I've done to you. No, why about we take what God has given unto us and we reflect it back and saying, Jesus has blessed you with this. He is the multiplier of what I have. He is the one who provides my resources. He's giving them the model right now. And to continue to seek out the well-being of those who they were discipling too. He was addressing the real need. In that moment in time, they failed to remember Jesus' miracles, but he reminded them of that. If we walk in obedience in our discipleship, then Jesus will prepare us to be obedient in the mission that we have before. But sometimes we have to remember that obedience must precede understanding sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what we're walking into. We don't know what's going on. We pray that you walk with wisdom and then that we walk in with, with faith and we walk in with a guided understanding of what's happening. But we have to walk out in obedience. We think about Peter when he walked out on the water. He said, if you, if you, you call me out, I'm going to go. God has called us out to go out into our neighborhoods and to make disciples and to reach the people. Be obedient to that small moment in time. And I guarantee the more we start to do it, the more we're going to have an understanding of what we need to do. It wasn't until I actually physically got out last week and I just said, I'm sick of seeing what's going on. I'm going to go walk the block. And I, sometimes I forget. I take my dogs with me. I freak Lauren out because I just left without telling her one day. And she was like, where are you? I'm like, I'm walking with the dogs. She's like, okay. I got distracted by the farmer twins. I stopped by their house to say hi to them. But it was in the midst of me saying, God, you called me out to go. Let me just be obedient to meeting my people in my neighborhood that God gave a true understanding and a true wisdom on how we are to reach those within our neighborhoods. But it takes that first step of actually going and to walking with faith. So as we see here, the disciples, they went out and they fed the 5,000. And we're going to jump forward here and we're going to break down verses 18 through 22. And we see here that as Jesus is giving his teaching, Jesus is talking to the disciples. As we've seen the witness from Paul, as we see Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000, we see the next part is, is that the public ministry will not be impacted unless it's proceeded with private prayer. Our public ministry that we do. Jesus had a model that he would go into the private place and he would pray. He would get closely connected to God. He would get into the presence of God and then he would go out and then he would minister. And then he'd go back again. He'd, he'd pull away even though the crowds wanted him to do. He realized, he said, I've got to be in my God, my God's presence, my father's presence. And he would go out. So we see after they fed the 5,000, the feet that I believe would be spiritually draining and mentally draining and physically draining. If you fed kids before, you know, it's tough. They fed the 5,000. Jesus takes them away and he goes and he prays with them. And in this moment in time, Peter makes a confession, but I want to focus on what verse 18 says. He says, now what happened that they were praying alone and the disciples were with him. And they, and it says, and he asked them the crowds, who do the crowds say I am? In verses 18, it reminds us that the impact of prayer and presence will be nothing without the private prayer preceding our engagement. The impact of prayer and presence is nothing without the private prayer preceding our prayer and engagement. You cannot carry the presence of God with you unless you were in his presence. Rather, what you're going to see is this, is that you will take whatever presence that you were in to the people. 
And then you yourself may actually get ate up by what is actually going on in your community around you if you don't walk with the presence of God. If you aren't, and I say spiritually built up, if you aren't in the place of being able to talk to those who are dealing with certain situations, you may get caught up in the situations yourself. Be overwhelmed by what's happening in people's lives or even yourself get caught up in it. I remember my young days and being like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go to this place where I have no business being because I know that I was no had no business being there. But I also was not mature enough or equipped enough to be there and to not partake in the situations that were going on. That means in our spiritual maturity, we must be in a place that we are praying along with Jesus Christ as he's giving us instruction. And that the disciples, as they were doing this, were in the presence of God as we can carry God with us. That means we must first have fellowship with God individually before we can go out and do so. And as we start to shift into this prayer and this presence, I believe that we have to make a time where we individually, before we go out, we are prayed up and we are prepared to do so and to reach, meet the needs of our people. Over the next couple of weeks, as a part of this, um, I'm going to do the trainings for the Who's Your One? And I'm going to do the trainings for the three circles. I'm going to get with Ethan about this. And we're going to video record it so people can go back and watch it. But those are going to be the two primary trainings that we do so we can go out and reach and connect with people. But the third part about this is that as they're in the presence of Jesus Christ, as they're praying alone, as they're praying with Jesus Christ and they're praying with God, Jesus Christ asked the question. He says, who do the crowds they say I am? Who, who am I to the people around you all? Who do you think I am right now in this moment in time? And they reply back and Peter replies back and he says, and they answer them. And John, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. Others say the prophets of the old. Then he said to them, but who do you say I am? Who, who do you as an individual say I am? And in this model of discipleship, we see that the disciples have lived with Jesus Christ in fellowship. They've heard his preaching and teaching. They were sent out to be active agents in the community on a missionary journey. They then come back and they fed the 5,000. They've watched Jesus Christ's miracles. In this moment in time, they stop and Peter says to them that you are Christ the God. You are Christ the Lord and Savior. It surprises me that in the midst of all this, why didn't they realize that when they were living in fellowship with Jesus Christ when he called them? It always surprises me when you when you're living with Jesus Christ and you're watching him do the miracles. Why didn't you know that he was Jesus Christ, the son of God? I mean, if somebody were to come to me and they're like, you know, I'm Jesus Christ. And then and I would come to me and they say, hey, I'm Michael Farmer and I show you my card. I show you my credentials. I show you the news articles. I show you everything that I have. I'm going to believe that that person is that person and stuff like that. I'm going to believe that. And you would think that when you're in that fellowship with Jesus Christ, he's like, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the son of God. I've come as the Messiah. I've come as the reigning king. I've showed you now what I can do. I've healed people. I've brought people about to miracles. I've fought the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all these times and stuff like that. This is who I am. But it's only when they actually start to live out the mission of Jesus Christ that they really, truly understood who Jesus Christ is. This goes back to us being present and experiencing, being present and being experienced and being in the, in the experience of what is going on will bring us about to a place of truly understanding in our own individual lives who Jesus Christ is. I've had the greatest revelations of who Jesus Christ is, not always when I'm in private prayer, when I'm in private study, 
But when I am in private prayer and private study and I go out and I have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, and you can literally see the melting down of the situations in their spirit and stuff like that. When you get to talk to people and you meet their needs, when we start to live on mission with Jesus Christ, not reading about the mission, not looking at the mission, not liking the post on Facebook about the person who's doing something in the community. When you start to be actively living on mission with Jesus Christ, you will truly experience who he is. And then it will affirm to you in your heart and your spirit that he is the Messiah and he is the risen king and his power and the cross and the resurrection can redeem our cities also. No different than Peter in this moment in time and situation. They actively were a part of the miracle of Jesus Christ taking and feeding the 5,000. Those that, that were brought back into the fold that they went on mission with. That they realized that they couldn't sustain or feed without it being connected to Jesus Christ. He realized in that moment in time and made the proclamation that you are Christ of God. I believe wholeheartedly the church has lost this because we're not active we don't know who Jesus Christ truly is because we're not willing to be on mission with Jesus Christ. The church needs a revival. And I use that as a, as I hate saying that. I really do hate saying that. But we need a revival. Not a revival as to put up a tent meeting and to hear more of the word of God. But God is calling us to live out the great commission. To be on discipleship. To be a disciple and to go out and to be a part of the missionary work. You know what surprises me the most is when people go to Haiti. They go over to Africa. They do these missionary journeys. They, came by, they come back and they're like, I'm so fired up. I'm so enthusiastic about what's going on. I'm so hyped. Why? Because you were living on mission with Jesus Christ. And you got to watch and experience the miracles of God redeeming those who were far away from God and far land. But you'll never commit to do it in your own neighborhood. And I believe that that's the consistency that we need. Are we willing to have the same missionary mindset as we do in Haiti, as we do here locally in our cities? And as we do so, I believe that God is going to revive our hearts and to bring us back into a place where we walk like Paul, like Paul did as he walks in the Athens and he sees the sinful nature. He sees the depravity of our cities that were provoked by our spirit not to sit back and watch what's going on in Charleston on the west side. But I'm provoked by the depravity and the sinful nature. But I have a savior who is strong enough to be able to take away your sins as you as you lay them down before the cross. And as we nail that to the cross, for him to redeem you and to bring you into right standing as to who you were always meant to be. But it takes us going and living on mission with Jesus Christ. The last point that Jesus Christ makes is after he gives them the understanding of who he is, he tells them, I am. He says, Peter says, he says, I'm you are Christ of God. Jesus then gives them a, a revelation of what his mission is, of what he came to do. As he says here in verse 21, and he's strictly charged them with the commandment not to tell anybody what was just said is him being Christ the God. But he says them in verse 22, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he must be killed. And on the third day, he must be raised up. He's giving them an insight and a revelation as to what his missionary journey was. And what he was to do. When we look at this revelation that Jesus Christ is giving them, he's really inviting them to understand that he's saying, hey, guess what? As I'm sending you out into these dangerous areas, 
these places that may not seem safe, in the midst of people with sinful nature, do you realize that's what I came to do off of my heavenly throne? I, I saw the depravity of my sons and my daughters and, and those who were living far away from God. And I no longer could sit there and watch as my people were dying and being sent to hell. Jesus is saying that he was provoked himself to come off of his heavenly throne and to be involved in our situations in life. And each and one of us can testify that we needed Jesus Christ to redeem us to do so. So no different as Jesus Christ came off of his heavenly throne. He came as a missionary to earth to be involved in our situations, to walk in our midst, to walk in our depravity, to walk in the mess of what was going on. He said, I'm doing this to show you the example as to how you can do this to continue with the Great Commission when I leave. I feel so motivated by the fact that Jesus Christ was willing to come off of his place and his comfort. No different than we need to be getting out of our place of the comfort of the pew in our church and our comfortable homes to go and reach the people. But it's going to cost us something. But we're on mission with God. And I know that my Savior and my God is willing to take care of all of my needs as I'm living on mission. And the joy that I have by living on mission is greater than any fear that I ever have in life. As I walk through my streets, and I tell people I was motivated to come to the west side of Charleston. I make this joke with Lauren all the time, is that I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and I had a deep conviction when I became an adult. I was in banking and finance. I lived a good life and stuff like that. And I, and I started having a deep conviction when I was living in St. Albans. I went to a church there and things were good. And I said, I'm not connected back to those who grew up in the same conditions and situations as I grew up in. And I would start to see when I was mentoring, I'd come to the second Avenue a couple blocks away and I was still working in banking. And I started to work with these young men who grew up in the same situations as me, young black men and young black women and young people in poverty and depravity who didn't have dads, who didn't have mentors, who didn't have hope. And I thought to myself, I said, God, I'm, I'm kind of scared to go back in these situations because I've not been involved in these things since I was a kid. And it was, it was a very humbling thing in that moment to say as a young African-American male to say, I don't know what the struggles are of the hood and the west side around me. Because you kind of put on this bravado sometimes. I got to put on this, this kind of air of like, oh, I'm still got a little bit of hood, but I'm also still classy. You know, I'm like, I'm bougie class. I know what that's not quite. It's like I'm a savage. Like the song is stuck in my head now, however it goes. And I had to put on this bravado like, yeah, I know. But internally, I was scared. I was very fearful because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen when I started to walk and work on the block. But I had to remember that Jesus Christ sacrificially went out. And as I, when you go out, I think it's the, re, the remembering that these are people. We get so caught up with what we see on the news and what the depiction of what is, what's, what's actually going on as opposed to experiencing it. And I said, what are people talking about? These are people who are living in the same social situations that I was living in and have the same situations in life that I'm going through. And being on mission is being a part of their life. And as we, we went into this, I had to remember that Jesus Christ went sacrificially and he met the people. And it costs us a little bit of something. Lost my job in banking because I was more connected to what I was doing in ministry. I had a boss to tell me one time I was in banking. He said, I don't, he said you do good at this job, but I think you will be better in ministry. My boss was an atheist. Look at me. He, I was getting preached to by my atheist boss right now. And I'm sitting like, you don't know what you're talking about. Give me my paycheck. Like... The fear and the reality of it may cost you something. But I, I really believe it's going to cost you 
what you are seeking for in the world as opposed to what you need in the kingdom of God. We would get so caught up in what we're going to lose as opposed in the world, but not in what the kingdom of God we're going to gain. And as we look at this, we have to remember the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and what he was able to do on the cross. And that the picture of Jesus Christ crucified is a constant reminder of the weight of humanity's desperate situation that we were in. And that he was aroused and he was constant in the, pro the provocation of the souls and leading people in his proclamation that he made. That he was here to bring about the kingdom of God and to bring people back into right standing. Jesus Christ demonstrated for us a character of steadfastness as he faced the world's ultimate rejection. And he modeled this as he faced the ultimate rejection of his father on the cross. As he made a sacrifice for the remission of our sins. And lastly, we must remember this is that he remains faithful to reach those who are rejecting him. And he's painting us a beautiful, scandalous picture of the ultimate missionary. One who's passionate and he's aroused by the godlessness of the block only to become the substitutionary casualty of those whom he is ministering to. Raul proclaiming the kingdom of God is here to restore the block. The kingdom of God is here to restore the west side of Charleston. The kingdom of God is here to restore Charleston. The kingdom of God is here to restore the greater Charleston area. The kingdom of God is here to restore Kanawha County and West Virginia and all the areas of our nation. But are we willing to go and to be missionaries on the block? I'm encouraged by those who are a part of our church who give sacrificially of your time. I know y'all, y'all could go anywhere that has the great worship band and has the lights and the sounds and isn't halfway filled up with stuff. I'm like, that's all this, it's stuff that goes out. Like I could imagine as a guest with a commend, they'd be like, what in the world is going on in here? This is your church. Y'all got a ladder over here. Y'all got balls. Y'all got kids' school supplies. But I'm thankful for those who come in who were committed to the cause of being a part of the missionary with God. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look luxurious, but you're willing to give up those amenities to actually be a part of a work that is going to change the lives of many in our community. Maybe that's what the sacrifice looks like, that you're willing to give up the luxury for those in our community to experience their pain and anguish. But it quickens your heart to want to be a part of what they're doing and what's going on in life. I pray this next coming week that we do two things. That... We find that private time when we're at home. Close the door, turn off the TV, whatever it may be and stuff like that. And get along with God. As it said there in Luke chapter 9 and 18, it says that they were praying alone and the disciples were in the presence of Jesus Christ. Find a time and dedicate to praying alone with your family and being a disciple in that moment of time and being present. You know what it looks like for us um, at dinner time? We've been doing it like around six, seven o'clock, something like that. Um, we'll call KKM from inside. We'll all sit at the dinner table and we read a proverb and we read a psalm. And then we stop and we pray. I say as a family, we, we pray and stuff like that. And, you know, there's some nights that KK is like, I want to go outside and play with my friends. I'm like, I know you want to go outside and play with your friends. But I want to honor this time that we have with God. And I want as you go out 
And my fearfulness sometimes for you to go outside and play basketball with your friends who are outside, I want you to be on a mindset that you can help these young people go through their situations in life. But I believe it's by us praying and being present with God and showing her how to be present with God that she then can carry his character out to the people around us. So as that is being a small thing that we do, I'm motivated every day by the Proverbs and the Psalms that I read and that little bit of time that I pray. And usually I'll sneak away in the middle of the night and do so also. But it's a preparation for us as we go out for our prayer and our presence. So find that, that private time, number one. Number two, be consistent, be committed, and be dedicated to the church. The church right now is in need of those to be connected. The church right now, it's in a deep place and a deep need as we have members who are out of church. They're far away from God. They're not in the midst of being present in this moment in time. And I know it's hard. There are people who have health issues. I, I tell them, don't come. But that doesn't mean you're disconnected from the church as a whole. That we call, we connect, we pray for each other, and we're being a part of that. In, in the midst of this missionary journey and this guidance and stuff like that, and I, don't, I had a note in here about it, so I'm just going to remember this verbatim of what it is. Dr. So-and-so, I'll post this later on on the Instagram or the TikTok or the, the Twitter, what he said. It was a really good quote. But he talks about how in God's understanding of how the missionary work is to be done, that this missionary journal and work that we do is to be done through the church. I talk a lot about what the church should and shouldn't do, but I'm never going to forsake the church. But he has bonded us together as a, as a spiritual and a discipline, as a discipleship family so we can encourage and motivate each other to live on mission with each other. So when I know that I'm walking the block, it's not just going to be when I send Josh and Kelly out there by themselves and say, y'all got Brody, good luck. It's going to be, no, we're going to walk with you. And when they come back and they say, my, my neighbor doesn't have food. And there's a dilapidated house that has a need. You know what I'm going to do and say? I'm going to say we got a food pantry right here. And I know that there's a program for the city of Charleston in which they can report that dilapidated house. And there may be some grant money to help fix that house. And I hope then that they say, man, those Jesus-loving people, they're helping me out a whole lot. I don't believe in Jesus, but I, I like what they're talking about over there. And then they'll see him walking the block with, with Brody. And they're going to see him out there and they'll say, maybe I should talk to them again. Those are nice people. And it's going to be like, what, what, what do you have right now? Something's quickening in my spirit as I'm talking to you and I'm building a basic relationship with you. You talk about Jesus a lot. You, you look like Jesus a lot. You look like a Christian. You look like a little Christ-like person. It's going to quicken their spirit and that moment in time so that the Holy Spirit can do a work in their life and bring them about to a place of redemption. I pray that as we start undefeated back here and as we, we open up our doors and as we're walking the neighborhood and as we're walking the block and as Ethan knows this and as we see our kids in the housing developments when we go and we deliver food that they see us, they know us, they know what's happening, they know what we stand for and our hearts are encouraged and our hearts are quickened in these opportunities we have to tell them about the gospel so we can bring about an example to these young men and women who are being guided away from other false idols and everything else in the world. There are many people out there who are more willing to be discipled than we have disciples. And it just starts with us taking that first step. And I believe that God is going to help us to do so. I pray today that as we live on mission, as we're walking this out with Jesus Christ, that we're encouraged by what Jesus Christ has already done. 
We're encouraged as to where he's leading us to do, go, but we stay committed more than anything else. Amen? Amen. We're going to uh, sing our doxology, and then we will be dismissed out for the afternoon. Um, if you do not receive the, the weekly email, there, let me know. Get an email address and stuff like that, and I'll make sure you receive that. Um, we may even start doing like a little text thing once a week or something like that. We may get fancy with it. I don't, don't want to overwhelm people, but I'm like, I don't ever check my email. Let's be real, y'all. I get 40 emails a day. And then the next day, I think God was like, ha, karma, I got 80 the next day. You know how mad I was? I was like, I don't want to talk to none of y'all. So I'm like, whatever best way for us to communicate, we're going to do so. But I pray that we live out this missionary journey together as a missionary family taking care of the tangible needs in the community as we're able to, and a proclamation of Jesus Christ is wholeheartedly what we need to do. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to sing our doxology. I'm going to pray, then we'll sing our doxology, and we will be dismissed out of here. But God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I'm thankful that you have not forsaken the west side of Charleston. Contrary to what people may see on the TV and what may be posted online. God, I pray and I know that you are here within our city and you have us where we are meant to be. God, I'm thankful for those who are committed to the missionary work within our community. And I pray today that you raise up young people who have an unction to live out of the norm of what they see every single day of their lives with the crime and the violence and the pervasive sinfulness and nature of God. But they have to have people who can show them the example. So I pray today that you help us to be quickened in the Big C Church to go out into our communities and to meet the people who are around us. God, I pray today that you help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit. But let your Spirit dwell within our city and soften the hearts of those who we are going to meet. I pray today for the young man who feels as though he has a family with a gang or he has to be affirmed by what people say. I pray today that you allow us and help us to have interactions with those young people, to speak an identity to them, to let them know that they are already affirmed through Jesus Christ and that his love and his grace is more sufficient than anything else that he needs in this world so that they don't have to seek out affirmation from a man. I pray for those whose bodies are being sold right now. The person who's seeking right now monetary gains or whatever the situation may be or, or even just love and affection, God, that you are with those persons right now who are doing these things in our city and our community. But raise up saints and people who are willing to say, I will get into the mess in the midst of what this person may be going through. To speak an identity to them that they are loved and they are valued and that they are worth and that they don't have to live that kind of lifestyle, God. But you help them to come to the revelation that they are loved by Jesus Christ. But it takes the missionary and the saint going out and being engaged. God, I pray for those who are able and willing to do the most important work, which is intercession for the mission that we're going to take right now, God. I pray for the person who will intercede for the church every single day at home, that they'll take the time to say that I'm committed to being a part of this ministry and this fellowship by dedicating myself to being in the presence of God and to praying to God for the work and the mission that we're going to do, Lord. I pray that you help us in understanding who we are in your sights, God. That you've prepared us 
that you're sending us out with power and authority. And we're not fearful of the situations that are at hand, but more so we're motivated by the situations in our community to go. God, we know that you are gonna dwell with us. And I pray today that you continue to dwell within our hearts. Help us not to be apathetic to the situations. Help us, God, if we have empathy for what's going on, motivate us to move our feet to be a part of what's going on in the missionary mindset of those who are within our city. And I pray that you bring about churches that are believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to walk on mission with us in the west side of Charleston. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. We'll sing our doxology and then we'll be dismissed. I thought when I closed my eyes, 80 more people were going to be here. <laughs> but um, I'm thankful for the time we have today and we'll sing our doxology and then we'll be dismissed out of here. But um, let me turn this off first. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Grace and peace be to you. God bless you guys. I know there are people out there on Facebook. I need a message back this week about being involved in our prayer and presence. I apologize. I haven't gotten back to you because I wanted to get some stuff on paper and get it together missionally before we move forward. So I'll be messaging people back. But also the same way, inbox me if you want to be a part of what we've got going on here at Risen City. If you feel as though your heart is being pulled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that you will reach out to us so we can talk to you about what salvation looks like. Amen. Amen. God bless.